today on Ag News Daily. Those are going to start to positively or adversely affect certain trade partners. Listeners, welcome to the Monday Market Edition of Ag News Daily Podcast. Oh, not July. Holy smokes. March 27th. 2023. Wow, that'd be a big jump, Delaney. You got a little overzealous there with the date, Tanner. Yeah, I mean, the sun's shining here in central Iowa. Maybe I was just anxious for summertime to get here. I guess. I am as well, so I totally understand. Yeah, I saw a a meme, of course, circulating this weekend as we got more snow within the state, saying that we were in third summer, or third winter, and uh, would jump to first summer, followed by spring. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see if we get a big warm-up here soon. I'm hoping we do, Tanner. I think that's in the future. I don't know. I'm not a weather person, but I've been reading some weather forecasts that are suggesting as such, which is good because a lot of farmers I know are itching to get in the fields and get planting. Yeah, I know. And it, it's quite interesting. The weather news for today is kind of quiet. Of course, we've still got friends in Colorado, northwest Kansas, southwest Nebraska that are getting some snow this afternoon into this evening, maybe accumulations of three to five inches. But it's uh, blowing snow might be an issue. Otherwise, there's really not much else to report on the weather front. No, there certainly isn't, Tanner, but there's lots to report on other fronts. And one big thing we should get an indication of later this week, as we talked about a little bit last week on the podcast, was the acreage report coming out on March 31st. We'll get Dan Hussey's take on that coming up here for our Market Monday segment. But in the meantime, Tanner, Markets today are looking at a couple big things. Uh, Most notably, today's USDA weekly export inspection report showed that weekly corn export inspections fell to a four-week low for the week ending March 23rd. The second surprise on the weekly export sales report was the strength of soybean shipments headed to China. And considering how cheap Brazilian soybeans currently are, that has a lot of analysts scratching their heads, Tanner, as to why China was stepping in and buying as many soybeans as they did from the United States. It does make a lot of analysts wonder if China is dedicating some of these soybeans that they've been snapping up lately to rebuilding their reserves. So another good question we might have to get Dan's take on here coming up in just a little bit. Yeah, that'd be a good one to take a note of. We also got a result of the USDA from their February 23 farm estimation report. Their 22 summary of farms and land in farms was published. They stated that the number of farms in 2022 was down almost 10,000 farms compared to 2021. The total land also fell 1.9 million acres to just over 893 million. That is the biggest change for 2022. The asset class that also saw the largest change were producers on the small end from 100,000 to 250,000 in gross sales. A third of the six classes is represented in that area, operated by nearly, and they covered nearly 1.62 million acres. So it's quite interesting to see the size of farms continuing to increase, the average size increased in the 1 million and more sales class, and then decreased or remained unchanged in all other classes. And I was digging a little bit deeper around those statistics, Delaney, and I came across another article that was just written 
about the largest farm in the world. And it's not in the U.S. It's also not in South America or Australia, where I thought it would be. It's in China. So the world's largest farm is actually larger than 11 United States, and it is a dairy farm. This farm is located in China and is outside of the mega city, Mundanjang. Uh, it's probably not correctly pronounced, but has over 100,000 dairy cows and covers 22 and a half million acres. That's humongous. I would not that, have guessed it to be in China. That is. It's even twice the size of the next largest farm. And ironically, the top four largest farms in the world are all dairies. Hmm. Okay. I mean, that doesn't surprise me, the dairy part, just the location part. Yes, I would. Uh, I would agree. Um, I was caught just a little bit off guard, but that was a nice, neat little rabbit hole I went down. <laughs> I bet it was. Well, Tanner, March 25th marks the first official opening day of the Great Lakes shipping season. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers in the Detroit office officially opened the Poe Lock at 12.01 a.m. on March 25th, marking the great shipping season that is going to be underway. Hard to believe that we're thinking it's going to be open already in the season, as we know that folks up north are still getting some inclement weather. But this should largely help support the movement of grain and other products flowing down the Great Lakes, the Mississippi River, and etc. All of our shipping ports will soon be reopened and rolling full steam here, Tanner, for the summer months. Yeah, we had reported early last week about a couple of ships that were taken off across the lake. So it's good to see that that lock is open and they can begin to further their trek. Also though, cargo ships are leaving our West Coast ports, even though labor talks show little to no progress. Of course, we did an extensive amount of reporting on the rail strikes in 2022, but now there's a group of more than 200 importers and exporters, as well as logistics providers and retailers urging the White House to begin interventions on West Coast port labor. Those talks have been underway since May, and now that there is a position vacant, they're seeking the Biden administration's advice for appointing a new member. The groups, including the National Retail Federation, the American Trucking Association, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, are all urging the, the administration to step in and speed up the agreement between the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, as well as the Pacific Maritime Association. We all know that there's supply chain issues that are still getting worked out. And we would appreciate to not see any additional factors added on to that. But they're looking to appoint a new person now that Labor Secretary Marty Walsh has left his post. And they would like to see a person here that could accelerate conversations and offer mediation services to those two groups. So another discussion that we will probably keep our ears open to to see if we can continue to get updates as those labor talks move on. Well, Tanner, speaking of talks continuing on, of course, we still have a little bit of lack of clarity around the Russian-Ukraine grain deal and whether it is, in fact, 120 days or 60 days. But regardless, some experts are speculating that China or that Russia may temporarily halt wheat and sunflower exports after a sharp drop in global prices. We're also hearing 
early rumors that wheat prices today were led higher by rumors that Russia may put a minimum price on wheat exports, which would make other countries such as the United States more favorable in the world market. But all in all, it's a big question mark as to whether or not Russia will be continuing to do deals with other countries and whether or not they are going to also raise their export tax, which could be, they say, starting this week, $70 a ton. This has certainly pushed, like I said, the wheat markets higher, but we don't have firm confirmation as to whether or not Russia will do this step or not for sure. Might just be some posturing, Tanner. It could be some posture. And I know there's a couple of headlines that I'm going to need to dive deeper into that would relate to that posturing comment to maybe share with the group tomorrow. But a headline that I can work out here through successful farming is the report on beef and pork prices. The forecast for 2023 is to see beef and veal prices decreasing by 1% and pork prices decreasing by eight tenths of a percent. The red meats account for nearly one-tenth of the consumer spending on groceries. However, Delaney, during 2022, grocery prices as a whole rose 7.8%. So it's quite interesting to see why beef and pork prices will be retreating while other grocery prices are climbing. The Food Price Outlook report coming from the USDA said that beef and pork prices would be declining modestly compared to all other food categories. When you look at fresh fruits, their forecast was from a 1% increase there to a 30% increase for eggs. Top of this 32% hike was blamed on obviously the avian influenza, but we'll continue to monitor to see what the forecast looks like for the rest of the groceries. They're forecasting that inflation again, like I said, at 7.8%. That was lower than the overall grocery price inflation of 11.4 in 2022. The 20-year average, just to remind our listeners, is only 2.5%. So all of these prices are still much higher than the average rate, except for red meat. Well, Tanner, speaking of higher prices, FBN put out their 2022 price variation survey, which was has it been a report they've done here for five years in a row looking at ag chemical price transparency since 2015. This report collected more than 3,000 data points from approximately 300 farms across 37 states, and the results are interesting to say the least. The report really showed that farmers are paying a wide variety of product of prices for identical products based on location, size, crop protection sellers. And it sounds like all in all crop protection sellers have not been very forthright with providing transparent pricing information and many regions lack competition. The product with the widest price range was dicamba with a 283% price variation. In other words, the highest paying farmer paid three times more than the lowest paying farmer, even when adjusting for broader market moves. So all in all, FBN found across 236 different agricultural chemical products, on average, there was a 15% variance between the average list price of a product and the price that farmers actually paid for it. So extreme variability, Tanner, across the country as far as what farmers 
have been paying and will be paying for chemicals moving forward. Yeah, that is something we'll continue to watch. Last little quick headline I have is just a nice feel-good story of a rural retirement community that keeps residents connected to the farm. In early 1900s, outside of Grand Lodge, Pennsylvania, there was a retirement community founded in a self-sustaining Masonic village. Today, the Elizabethtown complex includes a beef herd and orchard and plenty of bees over 1,400 acres. And the residents there love it. Everybody has a role. Of course, full-time employees are there to help with the operating farm, but uh, residents have jobs such as cow photography, grounds maintenance, livestock care, milking. Uh, So it's quite interesting to see there that the peace and well-being of these residents have now gone through a couple of clinical reports stating that this is maybe one of the most living retirement community available. So kind of neat little bunt to put out there for our listeners as maybe this could be a concept that catches on and you could get some extra labor. Well, Sander, I tell you what, I surely don't have any more news other than chatting markets here before we get to our conversation with Dan Hussey. So what do you say? Let's do it. All right. Well, markets certainly had a good day here on this Monday trading session, trading a lot of headlines this week, Tanner, which we'll get into here with Dan in just a little bit. But May corn today closed five and a quarter cent higher at 648 and a quarter. New crop corn added nine and a half pennies to close at 569 and three quarters. May old crop soybeans up 14 cents today to close at 1442 and a quarter. New crop beans added 15 and a quarter cent to close at 1288 and a half. Wheat today trading higher on potentially some limits here to Russian exports as the May contract added 12 and a quarter cent to close at 860 and a quarter. Livestock also followed suit here with the April live cattle contract adding $1.90 to close at a buck 64.90. April feeders added $2.82.5 to close at $1.97. And April lean hogs added $1.45 today to close at 78.62 and a half. Dinner without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Dan Hussey. What do you search when you're in the market to buy farm equipment? For 45 years, Fastline Marketing Group has served the farming community with quality farm equipment listings for tractors, combines, hay and forage equipment, lawn and garden equipment, and more. Check out Fastline.com for availability on all your favorite makes and models of equipment. And if you're an equipment dealer, put Fastline's industry-leading social media following and marketing expertise to work for you. Fastline Marketing Group is the farmer resource and marketing partner of choice in the agriculture industry. Folks, as promised, we are chatting today with Dan Hussey, the senior market strategist with Zaner Ag Hedge. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Certainly excited to chat markets. Always, Delaney. It was great running into you as uh, as always down in Commodity Classic and glad to be back on the air with you here in your podcast. Yeah, you know, maybe that's a good place to start, Dan, because I'm sure you had some differing conversations than what Tanner and I had. What were a lot of producers, what was on their minds when you talked to them at Commodity Classic just a few weeks ago? Um, you know, this was an interesting commodity classic in a sense that, right, we have come out of a number of years now of pretty good pricing. Um, so producers in general, I think we're 
optimistic, but very worried, right? I think there's generally been an air of concern, right? Just because things have been too good for too long, right? (laughs) Anyone who's uh, overly optimistic for for too long when we're at these types of uh, things, right? You get complacent and that kind of complacency was there. But uh, generally speaking, I think there was I think people, you know, had concerns on the macro level right now. Like a lot of the talk was not necessarily about production and weather or, you know, necessarily even China uh, this year. There were concerns, right, about Black Sea production and wheat. There were concerns um, about uh, other macro, uh, you know, economic forces like the Federal Reserve and the tightening interest rate cycle that we're seeing. Um, Those types of conversations weren't going on in years past. Um, And that's an interesting new concept that, you know, how this there's this financial uh, conversation going on with interest rates and, and inflation uh, that hasn't gone on before. Yeah, that was a lot different conversation than what we had come across. But there's a lot of things happening this week now to get caught up to speed. And one of those big things is going to be the report coming at the end of the week from the USDA. What are things looking like as we head into that? Yeah, our this planted acreage um USDA assessment, as well as the quarterly grain stocks, really sets the tone, right, for this next crop here. Um, the acreage report, it, it will set the bar for all of our statisticians and, and uh, balance sheet um, uh, data crunchers for, you know, how production in that supply side will really um, come to fruition or not, right? And and what we're using as, as that status quo for the rest of the year. So um, soybean acreage, and, and I think, before we get into the the numbers here, I do want to say that I know at Zaner we have a little bit of a concern that in these years where we start to see prices decline into a growing season, where we come out of really good pricing years, uh, we see a pretty strong crop out of South America. Um, it's not that there's concern over demand, but there's certainly been some price rationing of demand at these levels. If prices continue lower, right, we might see um, we might see us try to chase yield and acreage this year. And we're wondering if the numbers tomorrow won't reflect that a little bit um, and if the USDA doesn't forecast that somewhat. But certainly with better pricing, right, I think we can all say that there's got to be some expectation that acres are going to be um, a little bit heavier right than years past. So I know the trade is coming in with expectations for 800, excuse me, 88.3 million acres there for soybeans uh, with a range between 87.4 and 89.6 million acres. Uh, That compares to 87.5 in the USD outlook form earlier this year and 87.5 million acres in last year's estimates. Quarterly grain stocks for soybeans coming in at 1.72 billion bushels. Uh, that is uh, a little bit lower than last year, which was at 1.93 billion bushels, range of expectations between 1.6 and 1.91. Um, that soybean number, I know at Zaner, we think that that's probably pretty, we're generally in line with where the trade is, where we think 88.1 on that acreage number is pretty reflective. Uh, you know, anything inside of a half a million acres there is almost a rounding error at this type of size. And certainly at this time of year, uh, we could say that there's that at least that much sway um, in these numbers, right? The grain stocks estimate there, though, at 1.8, we're a little heavier because we haven't seen that demand um, that I think we would we would have liked to have seen up until this point. We're seeing all these export sales for corn, but where where's soybeans? You know, soybeans seem to be getting left out in the dust. Uh, so we don't think that that nor the domestic crush demand has really 
um, uh, you know, upticked a, a demand in in in, in, a, in, in a a drop in that grain stock number. Um, we've got corn coming in with ninety point nine million acres um, in in terms of trade expectation. Uh, 87.7 to 92 million acre range there. That's just about in line with the USDA outlook form at 91 million acres, but it is a little bit higher here in the acreage from last year. And I think corn prices, you know, hovering above, well, now below 650, but they were above 650 for most of February and into March. Uh, that certainly was a good reason to see some added acreage here. And I think in my opinion, the exports we've seen to China over the last several months are a good reason for um, for that number to uh, to maybe stay there this year. Here at Zaner, though, we are we're on the high end, thinking 91.4 million acres is where that's going to come in. But um, we're above the trade expectations and the USDA outlook form there. But it's a um, this point in the year, right? It's it's a it's a game of of, of pricing and, and pricing those acres out. So. Anyway, stocks here for corn, 7.47 billion bushels uh, is the trade expectation. Uh, the range of guesses came in between 7.24 and 7.83. Uh, Zaner's expectation here is at 7.5. So we're a little bit heavier on that grain estimate. Um, yes, I think that everyone can see that exports have been stronger. I think that will be very reflected in tomorrow's number, but uh I don't uh, I think in our number here, we're not uh, we're taking into account some losses in, in other places on the balance sheet and to that effect. Um, but, you know, again, I think that those acreage numbers be what they are now today. Um, will we see any shifts, you know, over the next couple of weeks, depending on how prices play out is going to be, I think, one of the bigger, uh, bigger questions to unfold. Um, and then. You know, real quickly on wheat, because, you know, obviously we're in a totally different part of the year there, but trade expectations for all wheat here at 48.9 million acres, range of guesses between 45.7 and 50 million acres there. USDA outlook forum, forum uh, with an estimate there, 49.5 million acres on wheat. Um, pretty tight stocks, though, overall, year over year. I think that's where the story on wheat um, it, it continues to unfold. 929 million bushels is the estimated ending uh, quarterly grain stock there for all wheat bushels. Range of guesses between 875 and 1, point, or, me, 1 billion. Uh, and last year, coming in with 1.02 billion bushels. This is almost 100 million bushels tighter there. Um, and one of the tightest quarterly grain stocks on record for certainly for this time of year. So, uh, you know, has a lot of traders wondering how wheat prices have gotten to where they are with how tight markets have gotten. Uh, and that is another discussion, I think, for the markets they have to I mean, You know, I think there's some things done to cover there and to unfold. But um, generally speaking, it's been um, certainly on the talk of all the traders minds that I discuss, you know, wheat with on a daily basis. So Dan, there's a lot to unpack there. I want to yeah. talk a little bit more to export sales numbers and also export inspection numbers because we saw in today's report that the core numbers came in a little below uh, what analysts were expecting to see. Whereas we saw soybean export, or excuse me, soybean inspection numbers specifically headed to China come in favorable here. How do we see that actually translate out though into export sales numbers? Right, those inspections are what we see sale tickets going through, right? Uh, the actual exports we see towards the later this week are how do those sales translate to actual shipments making on the back of boats, right? So um, the corn inspections 
being a little bit lower than expected um, really leads. I think traders got caught up in the nine days, I think now of flash sales that we've had in, you know, in corn, that's two weeks, right. Of just nonstop every single day for two trading weeks, um, flash sales in corn. We started to build that into our expectations for inspections, right? We're continuing. We, we see it continue to happen every day. So we're going to think it's going to happen tomorrow. So traders, I think went a little heavy here on the inspections expectations for corn. Maybe some of those will end up being cancellations, unfortunately, in the future that we haven't seen unfold. Uh, because I know this time of year, there's a lot of arbitration and that's the trade between two different parts of the world going on between Brazil, Argentina, China, even Paraguay gets involved there where stockpiles of grain, all these countries uh, need and or are trading with China and other countries around the world. And sometimes they're just traded around on paper. Um, and you may we might be seeing some of that going on. In other words, China backing backstopping some of the purchasing or or, or uh, maybe lack of purchasing they're getting done in someplace like Argentina, where the corn crop came up shorter than expected. And we know that that demand from China isn't going to be met um, or that may even need to meet some of their own demand. Some of that demand might be coming from the U.S. So China's getting in front of it. Um, they might put some sales on the books and then some cancellations may come down the road. And those inspections that we're seeing coming in under, uh, you know, uh, what we were expecting might uh, might be foreshadowing, you know, a slowdown in that corn purchasing in the future. Whereas right earlier, I was, you know, kind of alluded to soybeans. Everyone was hoping and wishing we'd see those flash sales for soybeans, you know, to backstop the idea that there's some demand there and soybean demand being a little bit more hand to mouth from and mostly to China. Um, we hope to see that number pick up. Now, inspections for soybeans coming in a little bit stronger than expected well i think that's a direct reflection of the lower pricing we had you know soybeans soybean prices um you know corrected uh the most out of our certainly between corn and beans over the last several weeks uh if you needed to get soybeans purchased above 15 dollars in you know old crop here well you certainly have a uh, <laughs> have a better opportunity here today and this last couple of days to do so um, and that uptick in inspections, I think, is reflective of, you know, now better pricing uh, and maybe now foreshadowing a period where soybean purchasing might be getting done um, at prices that are a little bit more favorable uh, for the export market. Uh, and we got a little bearish or maybe the, the mood of the, the market got a little overly done to right to one side there in terms of the expectations for soybean inspections, because, hey, every day we didn't see another one come we get a little bit less hopeful that, you know, somebody's going to be buying them. Um, and this might be a, a you know, uh, a turn of, the, of that tide, so to speak. So as we sit here at the beginning of the week, what else should our listeners be paying attention to as they pay, watch the commodities? You know, every over the last couple of months that that conversation has shifted, right? Where do we where do we focus? Because the Black Sea right now, um, you've got the what seems to be a closed deal or seems to be a handshake or at least a conversation agreement between Putin and, and Turkey uh, that that we might be going ahead with another extension of that grain deal. Right. So that means there may be some Black Sea uh, headlines to pay attention to if whether or not, you know, particularly for corn and soybeans, if they are going to be making it out uh, and wheat, uh, you know, for this uh, into the global market there. Um, continued um, highlights, I think, need to be focused on the U.S. dollar, too. 
Um, we've seen some pretty big currency swings. Um, we're seeing outside macroeconomic headlines about banks and now, you know, potentially, um, you know, European banks like Credit Suisse and UBS um, having their own liquidity issues. Those types of conversations or head news highlights, excuse me, oftentimes reflect currency volatility risk. And those will have direct, you know, effects on trade. Um, so those big currency movements that we see maybe between the euro, the Swiss franc, the dollar, the yen, um, those are going to start to positively or adversely affect certain trade partners. Uh, and some of those trade partners like the Japanese and the Chinese and, well, all of the, you know, all of the countries uh, listed before, right? They all have specific agricultural um demand on the U.S. market. So it'll be important to watch for uh, for those. Now, I think those countries are and the traders from those countries are also, you know, the ones actually look, going to the global market and buying commodities, right? They're paying attention to the currency swings, too, uh, and will use them to their own advantage to get more business done. So uh, we're not paying attention to, I think, the, that as much as we have maybe back 10 years ago around the last financial crisis when currencies were very volatile, uh, because we've become a little more complacent. But this last Fed cycle has resulted in some currency volatility that I think needs to be paid attention to as well. Uh, and then we've got energy markets. Um, I think every every sector, right, there's something new to, and, and different to look at. You've got energy markets starting to um, really um, become dis disinflationary. I think I heard the term recently, which I don't know what the difference between that and deflation is, but the idea is, is the prices are coming down. Uh, and that's more accommodative, right, for the economy, more accommodative for businesses. And um, but it's also might be a point at which the U.S. government decides to replenish its strategic oil reserves. And if we catch wind of that happening, that could be a good reason for crude oil prices to be bottoming. And if you know crude prices are bottoming, that could be beneficial, you know, to our biofuel and other mar markets that I think uh, have also uh, be become a little quiet and complacent. Um, so. Yeah. Um, other than that, I think one other story that was kind of not getting talked about enough that I was a little more surprised about is, you know, there are food crises going on in the world and the price of wheat is so low. Um, how can we even have that, you know, occurring yet? But places like Pakistan um, are actually in the midst of a food crisis right now. And, um, you know, from floods, early, you know, last year decimating crop and what have you. Um, if those stories continue, uh, whether it's Pakistan, India, or China, you know, places where food stability has become an issue, um, you know, at a time when we're talking about inflation and other prices, things can get a little crazy too. But anyway, um, the USDA report coming out this week and that quarterly grain stocks, I think, is the primary focus for the trade right now. Uh, and those big macroeconomic things are, you know, looming uh, headlines that we need to be aware of um, th that can shift all this, these markets. Absolutely, Dan. Well, that was certainly a lot of good information, but I know you are focused on putting out lots of good information for farmers. So if farmers want to follow along with you or find you on social media or online, how can they do so? Yeah, I think the best thing to do is, uh, you know, over here at Zaner, give us a call. Our number, my number is 312-277-0110. You can also find me uh, on Facebook at uh, Dan SOTD or uh, shoot me an email at dhussey at zaner.com. Fantastic, Dan. Well, thanks again for joining us to Chat Markets today.
Thanks, Delaney. Always a pleasure to be on. There you go, Delaney, another Market Monday in the books for our listeners. Just the tip of a really great week of scheduled interviews. Don't forget to follow us on social media, right, Delaney? Absolutely. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and LinkedIn at Hack News Daily. But Tanner, with that, you let the people go. Let's let them go.